Amen. Good morning. Uh, So I want to begin with a question as we get into chapter 3 of Ruth. um, When you think of rest, what comes to mind? A day off, a good night's sleep after a hard day's work, one day clear of the to-do list. Nothing to do, nothing nagging at you, nothing left undone. Um, I'm sure a bunch of things come to mind, and some of us wish we, we, we had more of those times of rest. And there's nothing wrong with those things. These are good things. But I think um, when we aim for that type of rest, we might be uh, being too short-sighted. Because there is a state of being at rest, a perpetual uh, condition of the heart. A uh, spirit of a, a quiet internal spirit that provides peace that everyone is seeking, whether they know it or not, yet very few find. I think most people, whether they realize it or not, are just working for the weekend. You've heard this, this saying, um, and it was an 80s song about it, but it's it's, it's kind of like our uh, cell phones. We uh, work for a while, and then every once in a while we need, a, we need a recharge. And it's just kind of this endless cycle. Like I'm working, I'm resting, I'm working, I'm resting, I'm working, I'm resting. And you never really rest. And so that's why I would argue when we get into the book of Ruth, the idea of rest is the main need in Ruth. That is the need within rest. But it's not the rest we're thinking about. It's not this short-sighted rest that, that, that never really satisfies, that always needs to be replenished. Um, it's the undercurrent of the entire book, that there's a, a greater rest, this state of rest. Um, and this is especially true for women. That's why this book bears the name of Ruth. It is about Ruth's need what Ruth is lacking. God has designed women to, to thrive in security and peace and comfort. And God has designed the home and the husband and the family unit to be that, that place. This is a different kind of rest. You know the rest when, you're, when your home is in order? When all the family's together, there is no, there is no drama and all the ladies are smiling right, right now. There is a deep sigh of relief when things are as they, they should be. This is what they thought would happen in Moab. Okay, so we're a little uncomfortable. There's not as much food as we would like. Our pantries are not as full as we hoped they would be. So we're going to go to Moab because we've heard that the grass is greener over there. We all know how that worked out. Less comfort, less security, less rest. But on their way back, Naomi had this in mind the entire time. Now, Naomi may have been focused on uh, what she has lost. She may be known as being bitter, but she always has in mind rest and something better for her daughters-in-law. Look at chapter 1, verse, verse 6. Let's go back to the beginning of the book. Naomi's going back. She's got no husband. She's got no other option. Verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law and returned to the country of Moab, returned from the country of Moab, 
For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. This is what's missing in the story. This is the, 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 the purpose of the journey. This is Ruth's, or, uh, Naomi's prayer and cry of her heart for her daughters-in-law. Uh, and this is going to be front and center in chapter 3. So that's what we're going to look at kind of on the surface. But in addition, this leads us to look at the deeper need for rest that we all have. Because the Bible is an anthology of people seeking to restore the rest that was lost in Eden. The perfect rest that Adam and Eve, man and woman, had with their God. The external and internal rest that was perfect and lacking nothing that they enjoyed in the splendor of God's presence for about five minutes until they screwed it up. And now because of sin, that rest is gone forever without a redeemer. But with a redeemer, there is hope for a rest. That rest is the peace of God that passes all understanding. That internal rest that the world cannot take from you. That rest that is not dependent on families and circumstances. And even if your house is a mess and your, and your kids are a mess and your husband's a mess, you can still have that rest in the Lord. So we are going to look at this text in two levels. And since we've already laid a lot of groundwork and we've already uh, dealt with a lot of uh, cultural context, we won't do as much of that. Uh, So, and we can't do as much of that if we're going to cover all of chapter 3 today. Um, And so the cultural commentary will be limited to what we need for this theme. Um, And just like chapter 2, our text will be broken into three sections. Just like chapter 2, it begins with some drama. There's, There's a problem. There's an opportunity. And it ends on a bit of a cliffhanger with the theological heart and the focus in the middle. That's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to introduce the problem, the uh, drama. It will end on a cliffhanger, but our, our focus is going to be at the center, um, the theological heart of our text. So uh, if you have not already, open in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 3. I'm going to read the entire chapter. It sounds longer than it really is, a lot of repetition. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you? That it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with uh, whose young women you were? With whose young women you were? Um, that's how it's written in the Hebrew. It's, it's tough to read. Uh, see, he is winnowing barley tonight on the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. 
And she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor, and she did as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have gone, not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is, it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she laid his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she, uh, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are here this morning because we need you. The world promises things all week long and it never delivers. But this day you have set aside for us to find our rest and rejuvenation in you. Because you are the only one who keeps all of his promises. You are the only one who always delivers. Lord, help us to find encouragement in your word. Help us to take comfort and the God who welcomes in the orphan, the widow, and the sojourner. Help us to find rest and peace under the shadow of your wings. Give us the reminder of your eternal provision. Help us to see Christ, our Redeemer. We praise you for the example of Boab, who, Boaz who points us to our Savior. We praise you for the example of Ruth, a confident, quiet-spirited, godly woman who shows us what it is like to live in humility and shows us our need for a redeemer. Lord, we praise you for this, this beautiful book and this beautiful example. Uh, would it be edifying to us, building us up and shaping us into the image of Christ? And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so picking up in the beginning of verse 3, several weeks have passed. We're at the end of the harvest. It is the time when all of the grain comes in and now they are uh, threshing. But Naomi still has the same concern for her daughter. Naomi 
her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, she is truly her daughter. She has left her family behind. This is the only family that either of them have. They are family in every way. My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he's winnowing uh, barley tonight at the threshing floor. So here's her concern. This was my concern for you when we left Moab. It still is today. You need rest. I want it to go well with you. She's not worried about Ruth working too hard. This isn't about Ruth's work ethic. This isn't making sure she gets um, better wages or um, you know, better employee conditions. This is about her being in the field at all. She knows that in that culture, and as God has designed women, that her, her rest, her, her womanly rest will be with a godly man and in a godly home. The same concern she had back in verse 9 of chapter 1. That she would find rest and she thought her only option would be in Moab. But now, the matchmaker sees a solution. The wheels begin to turn. The light bulb goes on. Isn't Boab our relative? You know that good-looking older guy? Um, I think I saw him by himself. There's no one around might be a good time to take advantage of the situation. That's what's going on inside. Let me translate for you. That's what's going on inside her head. Remember all that kinsman redeemer language. They needed someone from the family line. They needed someone to step in and and provide for them. Um, Not just to give them financial provision, but maybe even marriage. So that the family legacy and the family name could go on. And so what's Boab doing during that time? Uh, Nick, you're going to have to put all those pages back. They're blowing all over the place. Um, what's Boaz doing, doing, doing during that time? So think about it. It's a long day of uh, harvesting. All the workers have gone home, and who's left? The owner. Anyone, you know, anyone ever like, been a boss or ran a business? You're usually the last one. You're usually the most conscientious one. This is Boaz. He's there at the end of the day. Everyone else has gone home, and what's this guy doing? He is threshing wheat. He is, on the, he is, he is winnowing. And if you don't know what, what winnowing is, it's taking these long stalks of grain. They would, they would probably rip the, 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 the grain heads off, and there's a husk. There's a chaff around it. And you take a big winnowing fork, and you throw it up in the air, and all of the chaff blows away in the wind, but the heavier grain falls down to the, to the ground. Now, in that part of the world, There are strong gusts of wind during the day. But in the nighttime, not only do you not have the bright sun that is beating down on you, you have these gentle, cool breezes. So here he is, after a long day, he's the last one, but he is now threshing his own grain. So you can kind of see why the, 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 the timing plays out the way it does. Let's continue reading. Verse 3, now she begins to give instructions to Ruth. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Um, anyone else read this for the first time and like, Naomi, what are you doing here? Uh, Naomi's plan seems a bit suggestive, maybe even provocative. At the very least, this is forward for a woman, especially a Moabite woman, to approach a man in the middle of the night. Uh, maybe Naomi's sitting at, at home watching too many soap operas. She's got too many ideas in her head. This is the time of the judges after all. You know, uh, there's not a lot of morality. And, and a lot of scholars, uh, because in, in the Hebrew, there is a lot of, this could be interpreted differently. There's, there's some double speak here. And a lot of scholars have taken some, some liberties here. But we shouldn't speculate. And before our minds get too far down in the gutter, I want to give you um, a couple details that I think will be helpful. The first one was why he was threshing at night. The uh, second one is about her, her getting dressed. Because to us, this sounds like, oh, man, she's, uh, getting, you know, she's, she, she's getting herself ready to make an impression. But there's something else that we don't realize in our culture. Is that for a widow, there was an expected time of mourning. Usually a couple months where they would wear a widow's garment. Where they would cover their, their, their head and maybe their face. Where they would wear darker clothes. Where everyone knew that they were in, in mourning. And every man would know to keep his distance. And the sign that your days of mourning were over would be to wash yourself, anointing your head and changing your clothes. Here's a great example. 2 Samuel chapter 12. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, David is in mourning. Rightfully so, because he commits adultery and his son dies. But after the, the, the time of mourning, just, just verse 20, then David arose from the earth, his face was on the ground, he was weeping, and he washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes, and he went into the house and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and when he asked, they set food before him, and he ate. This was a cultural sign that things are back to normal. This is like saying I'm back on the market without saying I'm back on the market. And so don't read too much into um, her trying to impress or seduce Boab. Here's the other thing. Um, when you get into the portion where it says he lies down at his feet, okay. Um, again, this brings up a lot of questions. Why would you go to this man's bed at all? Why wouldn't you wake him up from a distance? We'll get to her intention more in, in a moment. But. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet. Why his feet? Because when you put something under someone's feet, it is an act of submission. It is a recognition that there is one who is superior. You are placing yourself at the mercy of, of one who has dominion and who owes you nothing. It is the ultimate sign of humility. Uh, Psalm 8, which you may be familiar with. Psalm 8 is um, a, a praise of the Lord who would even give his attention to his image bearers, let alone authority. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What is man that you are mindful of him? Picking up in verse 6. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, 
whatever passes along the paths of the seas. And so Ruth is recognizing, Naomi recognizes, this is the man who has dominion over the field in which you're working. If, if there's going to be any blessing, it needs to be under his feet. But along with that, there's a stewardship responsibility. Just like in the garden, Adam was given dominion to care for, to tend, to protect what God had entrusted in him. So this is the, the imagery that's being presented before us. And then the last line, he will tell you what to do. Remember what we've looked at. The last two chapters, there's a warning. There are men in those fields who will not treat you well. You might get abused, you might get rebuked, or worse. Naomi stakes Ruth's safety and integrity in the hands of Boaz. So if you're feeling the drama so far, join the club. This is meant to. Because if you're reading up to this point and you haven't continued reading, what's he going to say? What's he going to do? How will he respond? And so then Ruth's response as a good daughter-in-law, all that you say I will do. Now, even if she doesn't understand the instructions, even if they sound strange, she's honoring her mother. She knows that Naomi's desire is for her rest and that things go well. And the Lord honors and blesses her honoring her mother. Now, we may think this is strange, but we've got plenty of examples of people doing strange things. We've got three wise men, three kings who travel across the earth to see a baby that they heard about in a, in, in a vision. That, that's crazy to us. There are fishermen who leave their entire livelihood behind. They leave their parents. They leave fish in the net to follow Jesus. There are young men who cut a hole in a roof so that their friend can, lay down in the, can be lowered down in the hopes that their redeemer might touch him. If you know that there is a redemption, that there is a redeemer, there is nothing you won't do. There is nothing you won't leave behind. You don't care if you look foolish. You don't care if everyone questions you. There might be hope that I would find rest. This is what's at play here. And so now we get to our main section, beginning in verse 6. And the drama of Naomi's plan plays out. So she went down to the threshing floor, and she did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went, down, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Uh, just a couple things to notice here. Long day, hard day's work, he had eaten and drunk. Past tense of drink. He is not drunk. He had drunk. And in case you were wondering, to put it on the record, ladies, this is when our heart is merry. There, we're, we're like men are, are, not, are not hard to figure out. Long day's work, I eat, I have, have a drink and sit down. I am, my heart is, my heart is merry. Amen? <laughs> Got a couple hearty amens out there. And so what does she do at that point? She comes softly. She uncovers his feet and she lays down. 
This is not her seducing him. This is her submitting to him. This is an act of integrity from a noble woman who the only opportunity she will have is in the middle of the night when no one else is around. She doesn't want to bring shame on him, and she also doesn't want to bring shame on the family name. And so she gives her intention in this in a moment. And so that happens, and and, um, at midnight, verse 8, the man was startled and turned over. Of course he would be. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. Um, This is the moment when you realize what type of man and what type of woman uh, Boaz really are. Excuse me, Boaz and Ruth really are. Um, Because just like Boaz, our character is exposed when someone wakes us up. Um, because most of us would not be so gracious. Most of us are not so happy to be woken up unexpectedly. And if they were not the godly man and the godly woman that, that um, we know them to be, this could easily go sideways and become a shotgun wedding. You know, one of those, you may marry my, my daughter or else because of what you have done to my daughter. That's not the situation here. He is startled, and there are m- many questions he could have asked. I would have a ton of questions. But he says, who are you? Um, which in the Hebrew is, is, more, is more layered. It's not just who are you, but like, tell me about yourself. Tell me your intentions. And um, it's a legitimate question. And she gives a humble, thoughtful, theological response. She answers him. This is the theological heart of our whole passage. I am Ruth, your servant, Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, we need to camp out here a little bit and break this down. She says, I am your servant twice. This is not the typical word for for slave. This is the term for, for handmaiden. Ruth at your service. I am under your, your, your charge. I am submitting my, myself to you. You are my master. I am your servant. And then she gives the picture that he gave in chapter 2. Spread your wings over your servant. Remember this, this, this picture. It's all throughout the Old Testament. Even Jesus in the New Testament, this picture of wings being protection. The mother hen gathering in her chicks. The, the eagle protecting its young in the nest. And it's a place of refuge. But what we don't get in the English is the same word for wings here can also be translated garment. Ruth is using herself as a living illustration. When she takes the foot of of either his cloak or uh, whatever blanket he was using and uncovers his feet and covers her, she is saying, put your wings over me. She is saying, cover me with your, your garment. She is saying, protect me. She's saying, care for me, provide for me. I need you like chicks need a mother eagle. This is a very proper, humble way of saying, take me in marriage. This is the same imagery that the Lord uses when he talks about gathering his people in, when he talks about making a covenant with them. As a husband provides for And protects his wife. Look at Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8. Now, 
Ezekiel 16 is not a very flattering chapter. Uh, there is a lot of blood and there is a lot of wickedness, all done by the people. But right in the middle, there's this beauty of what is done by the Lord, even to a wicked people. Ezekiel 16, 8. When I passed by you again and I saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you, and I covered your nakedness. This is shame, and um, this isn't literal here, but it's a, uh, a, a picture of, not, of, of being not being worthy and being embarrassing. I covered you. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. This is what Ruth is saying. Boaz, do that for me. Boaz, this is what I need. For you are a redeemer. She knows what is owed to her family by the law. She knows the law, but she is also associating herself with the people of Israel. I'm no longer a Moabite. What you owe to my husband, you owe to me. Do this. Perform the, the job of redeemer, the role of redeemer to me. She is asking him to make good on the blessing he pronounced over her in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 12. When she comes and she, she works Hard and her reputation precedes her. This is what Boaz pronounces over her. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. She's saying, Boaz, remember those words? You are those wings that the Lord is providing. I am coming to you for refuge. The Lord has provided you. Will you now fulfill what you have promised or what you have, have blessed over me? And now the reader's still in suspense. What'll he do? What's he gonna say? How will he respond? And you can tell by his response, he understands what she's saying. Her intentions are not provocative, but they are profound and heartfelt. This is a woman who is submitting to the word of God and submitting to the provision of God. And she is betting her life and her livelihood on his character. And here's how he responds. Verse 10. May you be blessed by the Lord. If you remember, this is the same blessing, the same exact phrase that Naomi blessed him with. Verse 20 of chapter 2. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness, whose has said, has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now he's going to bless her for her has said. The Hebrew word for covenant faithfulness. There are two people who are blessed by the Lord, a godly man and a godly woman. And he ups the ante again, and he calls her my daughter. He calls her family. He associates himself with her. This is a term of endearment by her Redeemer. And he says to her, you have made this last kindness greater than the first. What was the, the first kindness of the, this kindness again? It's the Hebrew word hased. Your first act of covenant faithfulness, 
was saying, Naomi, you are my people. Your God is, is my God. I will go where you go. I will die where you die. This is a faithful woman. That was your first, but the latter one is even greater because you've shown has said to me. You've shown that you will covenant yourself to me and that you will be faithful to me. And you didn't go after young men. You didn't go after rich, poor. Ruth here values maturity and wisdom. It was admirable that she would stick with, with her mother, but this shows so much more of her character. She didn't go after young men. We don't know how old he is, but he's still young enough to put in a good day's work. He's not completely past his prime. He's a bit of a silver fox, if you will, um, that she sees and she knows he's a redeemer. This is, is a godly man. And I want to say this is a great pattern for marriage. This will sustain a godly marriage. It was not her beauty or her perfume that impressed her. It was her character. It was not his youth or his promise that impressed her. It was that he was established and he was wise. Remember chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man, whose name was Boaz. Now he says to her, all the fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Here it is, a worthy man and a worthy woman meet in the middle of the night on the threshing floor, and what happens? Now we kind of hinted at this before, but this phrase, worthy woman, this is what begins Proverbs 31. Let's go to Proverbs 31. This is, uh, this is something that is, is hard to express in English. But chayol in, in uh, Hebrew is excellence, nobility, value, uh, strength, worth. It is like the, the most excellent. So Proverbs 31.10 begins with eshet chayol. An excellent woman, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. This is what Boaz sees in Ruth. I mentioned this last week, but in many orders of the Hebrew Old Testament, Ruth follows Proverbs 31. So the last thing you see in Proverbs 31 is this excellent wife. And the first thing you see is the illustration uh, in the next book in Ruth. But let's move down toward the end. Verse 29 Many women have done excellently, same word here for worthily, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her at the gates. All the townspeople, everyone who gathers at the gates, the, the like, uh, you know, social media of the ancient world is the city gate. And everyone knows about Ruth because she's a woman who fears the Lord. She's a woman who has clung to Naomi. And this is what he sees. This is what he admires, that she is a worthy woman. That's why he calls her daughter. 
And this gives us a picture of biblical marriage. This is a look back to the garden. Remember, we, we said in the garden that Adam and Eve were supposed to dwell in perfect harmony together, and, and sin separated that, and here we get a shadow of this is how things are supposed to be. A godly man and a godly woman. God's good design. We're getting ready to celebrate another wedding on Saturday. And every time we as the body of Christ come together with a godly man and a godly woman, this is our, our hope. That we see this picture. We get a glimpse of what was lost in the garden and they look forward into what will be gained in, in eternity. The husband and his, his bride. But the Christian picture of marriage, biblical marriage, is a man and a woman who rest together because they rest in the Lord. And this book exemplifies that for us. And so, uh, moving on, verse 12. Because uh, Boaz is a man of integrity... Uh, to his word and to the word of the Lord, he says, verse 12, Now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Um, we'll go quickly through these. He knows the, the, the impetus, the, the, the weight of the word redeemer, Exodus 15, 13. He knows God who is the redeemer. You have led uh, in your steadfast love and your hesed, the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to their holy abode. He knows the redemption of the Lord. He is going to perform that. He knows God and he knows God's word. Um, remember I told you last week, Leviticus, uh, the end of Leviticus 25 is all about the principle of redemption. And he is following the law when he does this. Leviticus 25, picking up in verse 47. I'm not going to read the whole section, but just a couple verses here to give you the idea Leviticus 5, uh, 47, if a stranger or sojourner with you becomes rich and your brother beside him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner with you or to remember that stranger's clan, so there's a family member who's poor, then after he is sold, he may be redeemed, bought with a price, one of his brothers may redeem him or his uncle or his cousin may redeem him or a close relative from his clan may redeem him. Remember all the language that we've seen in Ruth so far. He's from our clan. He's a relative. He's a close relative. Or if he gets rich, he may redeem himself. But that's not happening for Ruth. Her only option is if she has a kinsman redeemer. He says, I am a redeemer, but there's another one. I know the law. There's someone closer than me. One of the things we, um, you might notice, but we don't really get in the English as much, Redeemer or redeem is used six times in verses 12 and 13. In the Hebrew it reads, And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he, will not redeem, if he will redeem you, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. This is Naomi's or Ruth's need. She needs a redeemer. Or she is destined to pick from the corners of the field for the rest of her life. And he says sweetly to her, remain. It means sleep. That's it. The same word is used for lodge in verse 16. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. He says, lodge here with me. Ruth says, I'm going to lodge with you. Wherever you stay, I'll stay. Boaz 
is giving her a precursor. You stay with me. And I will do this as the Lord lives. My oath is on the name of the Lord. I love Boaz and it's convicting reading about Boaz, about how considerate and generous and um, hospitable he is in this unwelcomed interruption. And we all, men and women, have a lot to learn from this um, because how many of us just want to be left alone? When we're um, threshing grain or whatever we're doing, whatever our, our me time is, how many of us, and I know I've been guilty of this, how many of us have resented our brothers and sisters who come to us when I just want to be left alone, I just want to be by myself? Yet how often has showing generosity and hospitality turned into a beautiful blessing from the Lord, recognizing a divine opportunity at the most inconvenient times? And Boaz's grace and hospitality here is a great example to us. So she lays down comfortably. She lays at his feet until morning. That's all they did. But arose before one could recognize another, before it's light enough out so we can see each other's faces. And let it not be known that the woman came to me in the threshing floor. These are not the details of people who go on an explicit rendezvous. These are the details of people who want to maintain honor. And make sure they seem above reproach to everyone else. If anyone sees, he gives her a reason. Here, let me give you these six measures. If anyone sees you in the morning and says, what were you doing? Uh, she was working all night. He hands her these six measures and he puts them on, on her back. And then she makes her way home, verse 16. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Notice, in each of the three sections, she is called my daughter. Naomi calls her my daughter as the drama is presented. She finds rest with Boaz, and he calls her my daughter. And when she returns home to the conclusion of it all, my daughter, how did it go for you? Literally, here she says, who are you, my daughter? The same question that Boaz asked. What has become of your night? Tell me about yourself. Is there anything different that I need to know? And so he gives this grain to her. One more detail here I thought was, was interesting. Verse 17, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. He is already performing his job as the redeemer by caring for Naomi. Since Ruth has bound herself to Naomi, he becomes her redeemer as well. But what's interesting here is that he said, you must not go empty-handed. This word for empty here is the same word which Naomi used to describe herself. I went away full, but God brought me back empty. And through this sign, the Lord says, you are not empty. You are not empty-handed. I will fill you. I will provide for you. Again, the Lord is using Boaz encourage Naomi we have come full circle and many think this was a down payment for the bride price this is the first of many installments of me providing for Ruth and it's pretty it seems pretty clear that Naomi understood his intent by verse 18 she replies wait my daughter 
until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. I love this. Wait, Ruth. You can rest now. Her proposal was all she needed to do. Air quotes on the proposal. But that's basically what it was. She is trusting her fate to his hands. They know what kind of man he is. Naomi knows what kind of man he is. You rest, he will do the rest. This beautiful passage opens with a need for rest, with her finding rest on the threshing floor. And this godly man, he will have no rest. There is no inner quiet for him. There is no lip service from him. He will not delay until he has fulfilled his vow. Men, this, I need to see all the eyes of, of men. Men, we have lost this integrity. We so easily say, I will do this. Yeah, sure, I'll be there. Godly men do not rest. There is no inner peace in them until they have fulfilled what they have vowed. We have a lot to learn in Boaz from this. When you say, I will do this for you, it doesn't mean if I get to it sometime in the next six months, you should be happy. It means without delay. It means that I can't rest until I've done what I've promised. I can't rest until I'm a man of my word. And so here we have it. Ruth took this great risk seeking out her redeemer. She could have been embarrassed. She could have been made a fool. But he would not let her be put to shame. It's a beautiful text. But there's so much more. So in our conclusion here, I want us to see how we find rest in our Redeemer. Because this book is a hopeful message for all who are far off. There is a Redeemer. We've walked through this to see Ruth's search for rest in this world. But I want to walk through it again. We're not going to walk. We're going to sprint. I want to sprint through this thing again to see how this points to the rest in this world and the world to come for those who know their Redeemer. Because Ruth's journey parallels ours. It is a journey from turning and repentance to finding rest and, and, and refreshment with her God and with the people of her God. So let's begin. Like Naomi... When there are those we love who we, we, we introduce to our God, we share the gospel with them. We do this because we know that there is rest in Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. And when we bring those we love to the Lord and they respond in faith, we become fathers and mothers in the faith to them. We now have spiritual children who have been born through faith. And in this way, Naomi can truly say to Ruth, my daughter, and in this way we can truly say, my son, my daughter, because they have been born again. They've been born into a new family. And so everything we're going to say here about our Redeemer, this is for those who have faith in our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to have faith in him? It means to, to, to believe in him, to uh, trust him, to wait like Ruth waited, knowing that he would settle the matter, to submit to him like Ruth submits to him. I, I am under your feet. You are my Lord. I am at your disposal. I am your servant. I trust you with my very life. I leave everything behind for you. 
And if that is you, let me tell you about our Redeemer. Our Redeemer is our kinsman. He is from the line of Adam. He is born of woman, born under the law, kept everything according to the law because we couldn't. As faithful as Boaz, but even more. Both of Ruth's redeemers were born in the town of Bethlehem. Her husband and her savior, our redeemer, is the only one. There is no other. There is none closer. There is no one else who can stand first in line. There is no one else who can represent us at the gate. He is the only one. Our Redeemer did not consider the rest that he had in glory with his Father as something to hold on to. Our Redeemer did not rest when he gave up the glory that he had for all eternity to take on flesh. Our Redeemer did not rest in his work until he went all the way to the cross. He came to earth to settle the matter of our salvation. And we can trust that he would do it. His hesed, his covenant faithfulness. Not to us. He is faithful first to the Father. And we receive the benefit. And so for us, we can rest from our work. Because he did not rest in his. Because his body rested in the tomb we can lie down and rest because our sins are forgiven. And because he rose to new life, we have the hope of life everlasting, what the Bible calls his eternal rest. The peace of God that passes understanding is ours now. We rest in him right now, and this state of peace lasts forever. Just like Boaz ate and drank to his fill, our Savior drank the cup of wrath of God to the fill. So we didn't have to. He filled himself with the wrath of God for our sins, which we deserve. And he paid the price for his bride with far more than grain. He paid for it with himself. He is the redeemer and the redemption price for his beloved. And he gives us the bread of life that satisfies. We will never be empty-handed. We will never hunger again. For those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. And in this, he covers us with the shadow of his wings. His righteous garment covers us. His righteous garment makes us worthy to be in his presence. It protects us. We are safe from him, from from all the darkness in this world. Just like Ruth slept comfortably and peacefully at the feet of Boaz, we too are comfortable at peace at the feet of our Savior. It doesn't matter how much darkness and wickedness surrounds us. And now, The heavenly father who said to him, today I have begotten you, you are my son, now in him has adopted us from orphans, from widows, aliens and exiles, to sons and daughters. I want to read Romans 9 here because it's so beautiful. And this is the the, picture of Ruth. 
the promise to the Gentiles. Romans 9, just 25 and 26. As indeed he says in Hosea, a very similar picture in Hosea, those who are not my people I have called my people, and her who is not beloved I will call beloved. And in the very same place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. Do you know that Redeemer? Has that Redeemer called you son? Has that Redeemer called you daughter? Has his blood covered you? Has he paid the price for your life? Have you left all to forsake him? If you haven't, you can today. Do not delay. He is better than anything any rich or poor young man can offer you. He is better than all the promises of this world. He is better than all the grass and all the grain in Moab. He is better than anything anyone can offer you. There is nowhere else where you will find rest. There is nowhere else where you will find peace. That is our Redeemer. And bro, it is, he is worth it all. We may look foolish to the world. They may call us crazy, stupid, or fanatics. So be it. You could like me for five minutes, or my Redeemer could love me forever. And so, brothers and sisters, if he is your Redeemer, if you are under the shadow of his wings, if he has covered you, if your life is in his hands, this table is for you. So I want to give you a few moments to prepare to approach the table. But I do want to make sure that we, we clarify this. This is for those who are hidden in Christ Jesus. This is for those who he has redeemed, past tensed, accomplished. If you don't know, if you're not sure, if you're still holding on to this life, we ask that you do not come to this table. But we do ask that you cry out to him, that like Ruth, you leave everything behind, leave caution to the wind, and say, I need a redeemer. Put your faith in him, and then have rest.